Well, good morning, church. We are continuing our series through 1 Corinthians. The title of uh, today's message is Spirit-Empowered Order in Corporate Worship. And last week, we, we talked about the first half of 1 Corinthians 14, which was about spirit-empowered clarity in the context of corporate worship. So we are embarking upon a passage where the context is what and how should we conduct, what, what should we do in corporate worship? How should we conduct in ourselves? And when it comes to hearing God speak or hearing the word of God, there is such a thing as too many good opinions and too many good voices. Too many good thoughts because too much of anything can lead to confusion or even if it's too much good, it leads to a dilution. And so too many good voices can confuse and it can dilute the power, the potency of clear communication. So today we're going to continue our study through 1 Corinthians. And today's passage, uh, especially if you're at home, because I know maybe if, if it's easier for you just to go and, and, and grab a physical Bible uh, because you're probably sitting in front of your computer or TV screen, I do ask that you grab your Bibles or, or a device where you can flip between two passages. If you're here live, I know some of you have your electronic device. You might not have brought your physical Bible, so try to follow along uh, as possible. Uh, it does require some explanation today. If we read the passage, there's a portion of today's passage that uh, in light of today's era, Paul would be canceled for his statement about women in church. And so that requires some clarification to understand that Paul upholds woman and the importance voice and role of woman in the church and so the 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 words that he writes specifically to the corinthians needs to be put into some historical and cultural context okay so with that let's dive into god's word if you have god's word turn with me to first corinthians 14 first corinthians 14 and we will start in verses 26 to uh in verses 26 to 35 point number one in verses 26 the 35 is very simple. Point number one is orderly worship. Orderly worship. And that is the main gist of this latter part of chapter 14. Paul writes this in verse 26. He begins with a question. He says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So Paul basically gives random elements that you would find in a corporate worship gathering now not all of these are spiritual gifts like a hymn singing a hymn is not a spiritual gift but hymns were part of a worship context a lesson a lesson would be the apostles teaching uh, a revelation this would be the prophetic utterance because back then they didn't have the word of god complete the the scriptures weren't canonized yet and so they depended on the spontaneous or the movement of the Spirit to bring His revelation and, and God's Word through prophetic utterances. Tongues, though Paul doesn't recommend many tongues in the worship service, he still says you should not forbid it. And so in certain contexts, when there was interpretation, there were tongues in the worship service uh, with an interpretation. So let all the, these things be done for building 
up. And so uh, if you've been with us since chapter 12, this doesn't need too much explanation. I'm not going to spend too much time here because we need to save our time for uh, more, more deeper issues that we need to clarify. Now, if you look with me at verses 27 and 28, it says, If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. So we've explained this in past weeks, but basically because tongues is an individual gift, because tongues requires interpretation uh, that Paul says in the context of a, of a public worship service, let there be at most three. And so someone would speak in tongues and wait for an interpretation. Now, if they had interpretation themselves as a gift, then they would give the interpretation, but someone else would confirm that. Maybe the person with the gift of discerning spirits would be able to discern, yes, that is accurate. And then a second person would go, and then a third person would go, and then they would all pause. Because imagine, this is a, a public worship service. So a person probably might raise their hand and say, can I stand up and give uh, my tongue? Right? So all of this can be controlled in the sense of self-control. Uh, so, so this teaches us a few things, that the person speaking in tongues, uh, that though it is the spirit that brings that heavenly language that they can still control themselves. They can still speak to themselves if there's no interpretation, right? Because that's what it says in, in verse 28. It says, let each of them, if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church. It doesn't say you shouldn't speak in tongues, but in the context of church, in a worship service, keep silent and speak to himself and to God. So you pray to God yourself. And so verse 27 and 28 proves that what we see happening in many uh, churches today in Pentecostal or some charismatic churches uh, is not in line with 1 Corinthians 14. There are churches that do strive to practice 1 Corinthians 14, but most of what you see on YouTube in uh, certain charismatic praise nights or large revivals are people just praying in tongues uh, all over the place, more than three, no interpretation. And so, so this is where the Word of God adds clarity without forbidding the biblical gift. It adds clarity to say if you're going to speak in tongues, it can be controlled. It's not like possession, right? So it's not like the Spirit comes upon your body and, and, and you're just like, I have to say this right now. It doesn't matter if nobody understands. I have to say it. Uh, I, it's uncontrollable. And, and so that's, it's not like that. Clearly, Paul is saying you wait to see if somebody gives an interpretation if you don't have that gift. Uh, and you can actually keep it to yourself. right? And then in verse 29, it addresses prophecy in the same way. Notice verse 29, it says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. Now, if, if you didn't have the Word of God completed in um, the New Testament times, then the prophetic utterance would, would be, in addition to the apostles' teaching, this would replace your formal preaching time. And so rather than, than gathering to hear the Word of God, because you don't have the Scriptures yet, you have letters from Paul, but how many times are you going to read the same letter? Uh, and, and, and Paul was there to clarify, you know, through correspondence. Uh, what are you going to do? So they had, they had prophecy. And so once again, it's let two or three prophets speak and let others discern. 
So others would discern, and who would discern? There was this other spiritual gift, which we mentioned, called discerning of the spirits. And so what would happen is if you had someone give the prophecy, uh, and then you had like one or two or three people discern, like, yeah, that's right. That is the word of God. And then someone else would say, yeah, me too. I also discern that that is in line with the gospel, in line with Jesus' teaching, and in line with what Paul would affirm, you know, their apostle, right, with the letters and so forth. Um, and because of that, they would, they would say, yes, let's all apply this truth together. So you could see that without the Bible completed, that the preaching time would be much more of a dialogue. There would be a back and forth because someone would speak authoritatively and someone would say, well, yeah, let's listen to that. Does anybody have a discerning gift? Can anybody confirm that this is indeed a, a, a revelation of God? Right. So that's happening all in the first century church. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to see this. I don't want you to just believe that this is me thinking uh, in my own understanding. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, this is very important as a cross-reference because it helps you to understand that other parts of the Scriptures help you understand um, you know, a specific part of Scripture that may not be as clear. So in 1 John chapter 4, I just want you to see verses 1 to 3. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets, pause there, so we're talking about prophecy is the verse in 1 Corinthians 14, correct? Prophecy, if there are prophets, let two or three speak at most, let it be weighed. Now let's jump back in, right? 1 John 4, for many are false prophets have gone out into the world. Verse 2 of 1 John 4, by this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. So understanding this helps us understand. that. So think about it. A worship service. What's happening in a worship service? If you're Christian, who is being praised? Jesus Christ. What is the Lord's Supper about? It's about Jesus Christ. Who are you singing about? What sets you apart from Judaism in the early church? It's that you believe that Jesus is, what's the M word? Messiah. You've been waiting for Messiah. I pray for Israel today that they would turn to Christ as Messiah. Because wouldn't it be beautiful if Israel, if all of Israel worshipped Jesus as Messiah? That's Paul's heart. That's Paul's heart that his people would worship Messiah. So if you're Jew or Gentile, you're worshiping Messiah. That means the prophetic utterance aren't, I have a prophecy. Remember, worship service. I have a prophecy. Next year, you're going to be rich. I have a prophecy. You two are going to get married. I have a prophecy. You know, this part of your life, that part of your life. That's not what's happening in a worship service. 1 John 4 helps you understand. So it's not as wide range as you think. The prophetic utterance before the scriptures were given is, number one, a prophetic utterance, a word about Jesus Christ, a word that draws people back to Jesus Christ, 
or a word that helps you apply what it means to live in a way that magnifies Jesus Christ. So if anybody brings a prophecy according to John that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God is not of the Spirit. It's not as hard. Scripture helps you understand. Now, does it have to be the exact verbatim words of the gospel? No. It can be an application, once again, of what it means to apply the gospel to your heart. So, so that's really clear. Now you go to 1 Thessalonians 5. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. Once again, I don't want you just to hear me. I want you to see this with your very own eyes. Right now we're, we're um, doing this live stream and uh, we don't have the split screen PowerPoint. And uh, you have that, you know, if you're watching on the screen, you got the little bit of a two or four sentences before it covers my face. So we're not putting the, the verses on a PowerPoint, right? We're just doing the text on the bottom. So, so that's why you need your Bibles. And so 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 21. Paul says this. He says, do not quench the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 21. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test everything. So every prophecy that's given, test it. Hold fast to what is good. What is good? What is good is Christ and the gospel. Whatever is good, think of these things. It is Christ and the gospel. That is certainly what is good. And so anything that aligns with Christ and the gospel and applications of Christ and the gospel in your life can be said that is good. And obviously, that's why now today we have the Bible. What happens is, is we have all these letters in the New Testament after the four Gospels written by the apostles that teach us how to live out a life that's devoted to Christ and applying the Gospel. So hopefully that clarifies for you that there's boundaries given to prophecy. And that is why I can say, and I hope you can see from the passages I showed you, that we can say with confidence that no prophecy is going to go against the boundaries of Scripture. So if anybody says, I got a prophecy, I got a prophetic utterance, I still believe that the Spirit, it says don't despise prophecies. So we shouldn't say the prophecy has ceased. Don't despise prophecy. Don't quench the spirit first Thessalonians 5 so if someone says I have a spirit inspired prophecy all we have to say is does it align with the New Testament that's what we have to say and if we can see that whatever is said aligns in some way with the New Testament we can say that prophecy can be way tested and it's true right hopefully that helps you understand now look look back at first Corinthians 14 so turn back there now 1 Corinthians 14, look at verse 30. Verse 30 says, If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. What is this for? This is so that whatever is said must be weighed. Now, you can see now the application is that Paul took very seriously and the New Testament takes very seriously the Word of God. Is that the Word of God must be weighed. The, then you look at verse 31. It says, for you can all prophesy. Look at what it says, one by one. Because if you have two or three people prophesying at the same time, how do you know who to listen to? Does the Spirit at one time fall upon 20 people so that nobody can hear anything? 
So this gives us an idea that, that once again, they didn't have the Bible. So it wasn't like if Paul wasn't there, they didn't have one preacher per se, maybe. So they had people who would receive the word and they would speak. People would discern it. Then the next person would go and then the next person would go. So you also see how dependent they were in, in the early church upon the prompting of the Holy Spirit. They were so dependent on the Holy Spirit. They had faith that every time they gathered, the Spirit would show up and the Spirit would move through His people, the people with the gifts of prophecy. So, of course, they shouldn't despise prophecy. One by one, they would go. But this would also mean uh, that, that there wasn't any uh, prophecy hogs, right? Uh, that, that He says that, that uh, if there's another person who stands up and says, hey, uh, it's my turn now, I have the word of God, then the first guy would sit down. So in sports, in basketball, there's like something called a ball hog. One of my favorite players, people accused him of being a ball hog, Kobe. Um, you know, but but in the in the in the Old Testament, because in the New Testament, because the Bible wasn't written, there 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 were prophecy hogs. People who would just stand up and they would just monologue the whole time. Right? And now I guess I get 40 minutes because there's the Bible. Um, but back then you would have to pass. The ball, if you will, pass the word of God. Let someone else go. And so that's what Paul is saying. Uh, if someone else has a prophecy, let the first one be silent. Meaning let the first person sit down so the next person can stand up. Why is this important? Because everything is for order. So as one person sits down, the next person stands up. Everybody turns and says, let's give our attention to the word of God. Now that person's done. They sit down. The spirit moves again. A third person stands up. Okay, now let that person speak. Now everyone's giving attention to the word of God. I think John Calvin was right that the word of God is the center of the worship in the sense where when God speaks, that's when everybody wants to pay attention to the word of God. And today we have the scriptures. Verse 33 gives us, gives us, the clarity for, or verse 31, uh, 32 and 33 gives us the clarity. Let's look at verse 31 again. It says, for you can all prophesy one by one. Why? So that all may learn and be encouraged because everyone can listen and hear. And it says, and spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that the spirits of the prophets are subject to other prophets. That's not what it means. Because not every prophet had the gift of discernment. Otherwise, once again, it would be a consolidation of power. It would be like, I have a word of God, and, and you need to trust me because I also have the discerning of spirits. right? Actually, he's just told everybody to weigh the prophecy, the entire congregation. So the spirit of prophets, it, that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about self-control. It's talking about the same people. It's, it's when you do a study of this, it's reinforcing the point that when someone receives a prophetic utterance, it's not like a possession. You can actually say, I can keep silent right now because three people have already spoken. There's been three points of a sermon, right? Isn't that funny? Three, uh, you know, two or three prophets of three points of a sermon. Amen to you too, right? So, so you, you, you see how the reality is. But what this is saying is that the spirit of the prophets can be controlled by the prophet. Meaning if you receive a prophecy, that, that prophet can, can subject the prophecy under his own control. It's not ecstatic in a way where you are out of control. That's, all, that's what that means. 
okay, that the prophecy doesn't take over that particular person where they have to blurt out at that moment. Now, verse 33 gives us the reason why. It says, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And so once again, confusion means too many voices at once and too many people saying different things. So not only that, I do believe that the Holy Spirit was so active that it would be like three points of a sermon. Just That's kind of a joke, okay? A Baptist joke. You guys don't laugh in your cars. But basically, the Holy Spirit's powerful. If he gives a revelation to one person, the next person's revelation is not going to contradict it. You see what I'm saying? Then the third person who gives a prophetic utterance is probably going to compliment. Otherwise, let's just say one person stands up and gives one point. The second person stands up and says, I disagree. That's going to lead to what? Confusion. And what does Paul say in verse 33? It says, for God is not a confusion, a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And so you see that the Spirit was powerfully moving, inspiring His Word in the early church before the Word of God, the Bible, was completed. And you and I now, we have the Scriptures. Now look at the second part of verse 33, and we're about to get controversial Okay, um, verses 34 to 35 are pretty controversial. Let me read it to you. It says, as in all the churches of the saints. Now look at verse 34. It says, women should keep silent in all the churches. So if you take that literally, women can't talk at all. That's what it means to keep silent. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. For they are not permitted to speak at all, but should be in submission as the, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. What if the women aren't married? For it is shameful for a woman to speak in the church. Really? I, I, I guess um, church is just a male-dominated boys club. That's not what Paul's saying. Obviously. Obviously that's not what Paul's saying. So what is he saying? First, let me just clarify that Paul's not saying the woman can't speak at all during church services. There are various views given, and I'm going to provide two, and I'm going to make a comment uh, afterwards in terms of our age and society, abuses in the church, and, and, and why some uh, denominations as well as men in the course of church history have abused these verses. Okay, uh, I will provide, there are, there are many views. Uh, some people will go as far, the chauvinistic denominations and people will go so far as to say um, you know that this is to be taken literally which means only men can speak in church only men uh, can read the bible in church only men can pray aloud in church only men can say anything or do anything which means women don't do anything in church okay so some people you'll be surprised some people actually take that view others who are to the other extreme who are uh, the feminist um, interpreters would say, Paul didn't write this. And and they would use um, some type of their own manuscript evidence to say someone later on put this in, that Paul didn't write this. Okay, so let's throw those views out and let's look at two views. The first view is that Paul is not to be taken literally in every context here, but instead he's speaking specifically only to the topic of women usurping the authority of male 
eldership in the church. That's the first view. Okay? And so to understand that view, um, which I think it's fair but it's not my view, uh, is I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it's a very different context. Remember that Paul is writing to Corinth, and in, in 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to Ephesus. Timothy was one of the pastors in the church of Ephesus. And so in the Ephesian church, it's a very different context. And so if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, I want you to begin with verse 8. And if you look at verse 8, you'll realize that Paul addresses the men, and he addresses some of the issues with men, and then he's going to address the woman. He's addressing orderliness and respect and honor in worship, so you can see there's some parallel. But then, after chapter 2, he talks about the qualifications for elders in the church. So he's moving into who has spiritual authority in the church, and he hinges his theology based on the created order. So with that, let me read to you 1 Timothy chapter 2. And this is why I, I don't want you just to hear me. I want you to have your Bibles and to see this. And so it's very important that you have your Bibles and you look with me. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. He says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So obviously the men were quarreling like men do. The men were fighting. And he's saying that men should not have anger and men should lift holy hands uh, or quarreling. Uh, and so sometimes, I don't always apply this, but sometimes that's why when I pray, I, I, I kind of do this. Uh, it's, it's that verse. So if you ever see me doing this, I'm not trying to be more holy than you. Is that I, I, I want to take his word literally. I, sometimes I forget, put my hands in my pocket. Um, funny story. Uh, an auntie told me when I was young, and I know that it was a little legalistic. She's no longer with our church, but I love her. Uh, I used to pray as a young man with my hands in my pocket when I first was an intern. And, and she told me, she's like, you should pray like this. And I'm like, she's showing me the scriptures. I'm going to do it. Okay. So men, sometimes when we pray, it's talking to men. We, we go like this. Okay. If you want to, but you don't have to. We're not legalistic. And so it says, I desire that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands. Okay. Now, verse 9, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair. I'm not going to get into that today. Um, someone else has preached on that already. Or gold or perils or costly attire. But the whole idea is that not flashy, not drawing attention to yourself. That was back then. Okay, Verse 10, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Now, in that context, verse 11, let a woman learn with quiet, learn quietly, with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, the context here is not saying women cannot speak. Apparently, there were women in the early church who were usurping the authority of men. Now, I want you to first to understand why this would be natural. And why you shouldn't look at Paul as chauvinistic. In my experience, yes, there are men who lead in the church. And sometimes there's patriarchal cultures in certain churches. But for some reason, in Chinese churches where women are always the stronger ones, 
You guys know what I mean. Silent Asian husband. The women are stronger ones. I always ask a man, can you do this? Oh, let me ask my wife first. I do that too, right? Um, and Middle Eastern culture, just imagine the parallel with a Chinese type of culture. The woman, uh, we're going to be stronger. And when you look at Ephesians 5, where it talks about wives submit to your husbands and um, husbands love your wives, it is Paul being wise and telling the husband to do what's hard for him and telling the wife to do what's hard for her. Women love their husbands. You see this in church. Women do this, and it's not right, but it, it, it's just common sense, is you'll see women uh, dog on their husbands all the time. Women uh, will speak disrespectfully about their husbands, whom they love. And so if you ask the wife, do you love your husband? Of course I love him. Bah, but he's so dumb. He's so slow. He can't do this. He never makes decisions right. He doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, women are just... They can think of a million things at once. Men are good at focusing on one thing at once. And so, so many times you can have women who actually don't respect their husbands in a way where they should. But they love their husbands. They, they love their husbands. Do you love your I love him. I love that old man. Even though he, he's, he's dumb. Now, now, you talk to husbands. Do you respect your wives? That they can do like a million things at once. They're amazing. Husbands, uh, yeah, they do, but, but they don't take the time to understand their wives. And if you say, husbands, do you love your wives? I love her. I would die for her. No, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. Do you take the time to understand her? Do you love her in the same way? I respect her. But I don't know if I love her in the way that Christ would call me to love her. right? And so that's the challenge. So you take that into the church now. Is that you would have the woman... Those men don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Those men don't know what they're doing. And, and so you can see that in a Middle Eastern culture, just think of Asian culture, where the men would probably have to say, uh, men, you need to lead spiritually. It says, um, let me go ask my wife first. Let me go ask my wife. Because I don't even know if, I, if, I, if I'm free to, to be your pastor. Let me go ask my wife if I have time to do this. And so what is Paul doing He's saying that there's certain women who are usurping the authority of men. And, and actually, it's funny because the woman that I know would say, man, my husband doesn't know what he's doing, but I wish that he would take more spiritual leadership. Wait, so which one do you want? Pastor, can you just yell at my husband? Tell him, light a fire under his butt. Tell him to be a spiritual leader in the home. But he's scared because everything that he does, it's not the right thing. So he's just going to ask you, what do you want in the first place? Same thing with crazy Asian moms, right? It's like the mom will say, where do you guys want to eat? And you tell her, and she says, nope, we're eating here. Right? Well, mom, why didn't you just decide in the first place? So think of the early church and the, and the powerful spiritual moms. But if you ask those women, do you want to leave the church? They would say, no, no, no. The men, I, I wish my, my husband would be a better leader. And Paul's going to say, men, you must lead, but you must have good character. He's going to do that in the next chapter. So it's in that context that there were women who were usurping the authority of men. And Paul said, you women know that that's not healthy for the church. If the church was full of just women leading, and the men all took the back seat and didn't care, none of the women would be happy 
And so Paul goes back to that. Now, if you go back to the verse, you'll see what he does. Right? So now let's read it in context once again. He says, uh, verse 11, 1 Timothy 2, Let women learn quietly and with all submit submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach and exercise authority. It's not that she can't teach. It's that she can't teach in a way where she's rebuking the men, exercising authority, saying this is the word of God over you. Because if you do that, the men will stay silent. They will never speak again. Or the men, because they don't know how to control a woman, they will become abusive. Right? So those are the two options. You have the men who, I don't know how to do this, so I'm going to get abusive. Or, you know what? Nothing that I say makes sense. Just let the woman lead the church. I'm going to go watch ESPN now. Thank you very much. You know? And so, so, th so that's what he's saying. And then in verse 13, he says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Meaning, Adam, you were supposed to lead Eve, not blame her. You were supposed to lead her. You are supposed to be the spiritual leader. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. It's not her fault, but she is supposed to be uh, following Adam. Verse 15, yes, she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that if you have children, you're saved from your sin. No. Remember that when he quotes the verse, he's quoting or he's quoting the entire context of Genesis is that Eve would be saved how? She continues to bear children until the Messiah comes. That's how she and everybody's going to get saved. Is that through Eve would come the, the promised seed. And so if Eve's, Eve bears children and more children come, and eventually there's going to be Jesus, son of Mary, son of God, born through a virgin birth. Right? And it's through Christ that we are all saved. And so that's 1 Timothy. So some people, go back to 1 Corinthians 14, some people will say, well, that's what Paul is talking about. Now, I just preached to you 1, Corinthians, I mean, 1 Timothy chapter 2. So you can see that if we were in 1 Timothy, that would be my view. That is the view for 1 Timothy. But I think there's a different context that 1 Timothy helps you understand, but it's different context. So that's point. That's view number one. View number one is that Paul was addressing the problem of women usurping the authority of men in the church. And if that's your view, that is okay. Okay? That's why I wanted to give it, because some of your, uh, the pastors you listen to on the radio will take that view. Okay? This is the view I feel like is better for the context of 1 Corinthians and why he uses the words husband. Because again, not every woman is married. The second view is the issue at hand was that, the, was that there were wives who were publicly questioning the prophetic utterance of their husband in the middle of worship service because there was a marital conflict to begin with. right? So Paul is saying in a sense, you obviously have an issue with your husband in what he's saying. You don't believe that the word of God is coming through him. So you're standing up to question him. And everyone's confused now because they can see that there's a marital conflict happening and we're in worship service. Everyone can see conflict. It's causing confusion rather than clarity. God is a God of peace, not of confusion. 
So rather than questioning his prophetic words in the middle of a worship service, ask him privately because you obviously have a marital issue. Keep in mind, keep in mind now that in Corinth, that they met in uh, homes. So imagine a network of churches representing the church in Corinth, that you had a network of home churches. So don't imagine yourself in a sanctuary or an auditorium where it's very awkward for a wife to stand up and question her husband. Think of a living room setting. It's still corporate worship, but you're in a living room and a man stands up and starts to give prophecy and his wife in that setting stands up and says, no, that's not true. You never know what you're talking about. How could we trust you? And that's what's happening. Now, you guys could imagine this happening in small group. You could, you could imagine the husband sharing and the wife saying, no, 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 no. You could also see a husband doing it to a wife too, right? But more, more likely, the, the husband is, is going to just give up, right? And just say, well, whatever. I'm not going to speak anymore then. <laughs> that, that's not good, husbands. Don't do that. But that's our tendency. Every time I try to speak, my wife interrupts me. I'm just not going to share in small group, Pastor. <laughs> that, don't do that, brothers. But, yeah, I get it. I would probably feel that way too, right? So, so that's what's happening. Don't quench the prophecy, right? So keep in mind, verse 21, I mean, verse 29 of the passage, uh, that Paul instructs Christians, let others weigh what is said. So Paul's not saying the wives can't weigh what their husbands are saying. Obviously, wives are members of the church. They have every right to weigh the prophecy. But why does Paul use such strong language? I, I think, I don't know about you guys, I think this is a little bit much if he's just telling women to calm down a little bit. Right? L look at what he says. Uh, once again, verse 34 of 1 Corinthians 14. Women should keep silent. They're not permitted to speak. Submission. What's the law? It's not written in the law, so he's talking about the created order, husband and wife. He's talking about the marriage created order. If there's anything to learn, let them ask their husband at home. Context of marriage. It's shameful. Why would he be so strong? Because, once again, he's, he's telling them, don't air out your dirty laundry in public. Deal with that separately. It's not that he doesn't care about their marriages. It's that in this context, he's talking about what's appropriate for a public assembly gathered for worship. And everybody was stumbling, right? He's not telling the wives to submit to a dictator or tyrant of the household. Obviously, it seems like that the wives in Corinth were much stronger than their husbands. And so... Otherwise, he would rebuke the husbands. And you know in other places, Paul has no problem rebuking the men. Now, here's an application of wisdom for both men and women. That if there's a marital conflict and you're in small group or in a public gathering for worship, and if one spouse stands up to say something and the other spouse publicly dishonors, shames, or embarrasses their spouse, that's, the wisdom says that's probably not going to help the marriage relationship. I think that's common sense. And so Paul gives that as a, uh, as a means of wisdom. Okay. Now, let me say a few words about women in ministry. 
I think we've seen male dominance in certain denominations in churches. Obviously, there are women with the gift of teaching. Obviously, there are, there are women with uh, gifts of administration and forms of leadership. And I do think, based on what the Bible teaches, that the office of an ordained elder uh, is to be reserved for men. Uh, I think as a, as a church, we hold to that. But that's the only office, the office of elder. Elder is interchangeable with pastor and shepherd. And that goes back to God's created order. The reason for that is goes back to Adam and Eve and the created order that men are supposed to be spiritual leaders in the church. But I also want you to think that how practical that is. If you're a woman pastor or senior pastor and you have to rebuke men, stronger men, men who are proud, men who might be violent, men who will yell at you, and uh, do you want to do that? So at the end of the day, uh, to deal with sin... Uh, sometimes it is the responsibility of Adam that he should have dealt with it. Uh, he should have never let Eve have to deal with the enemy. Now, aside from that, when you look at the office of deacon, it's re re reserved for both men and women. That's why even in FCBC LA, uh, there were deaconesses, right? Conservative churches have deacons and deaconesses. And so, so in terms of, uh, in terms of, elder it's for men but every other office so we have officers which are the biblical understanding of deacons we call it officers right and so and then our deacons are, are like lead officers and so when you consider officers they're men and women and so I don't want you to read a passage like this because there are some denominations and churches that abuse um, abuse the role of women so I, I think women should never feel like they can't bring a charge against a pastor or elder because they need to be silent because they're not allowed to speak. Women should never feel like that, that churches and denominations are built up for men to build up their own systems where men protect men, where if you were to bring a charge against a pastor, that the pastors would just protect themselves against the woman. And then if you took it to the de denomination, it's more men protecting more men. And that's why we have all these issues in 2021 with, with all the abuses where you have these spiritual leaders who uh, are seriously uh, grooming women and, and, and they have this hidden life and nobody's keeping them accountable because every time a woman wants to bring a charge, she's put down by other boards of men. And so the Bible and Paul doesn't support that. So I don't want you to take a passage like some people do, like 1 Corinthians 14, to press down women. In fact, in our church, we try our best. We're Southern Baptists, so we don't have ordained women as pastors. But we try our best that anytime we want to make a decision, we have one woman on pastoral staff. And so we want to make sure she's in every conversation um, because, she, because her voice matters. In fact, we, we wanted that more so in, in our pastoral staff meetings, at least where major decisions are discussed, we have our support staff there. We have uh, our office manager there we have our administrative staff some of them are our ministry assistants there who are female and we always want their voice and their opinion in fact i think going forward i would push for more women as officers because all the men are pastors we we can have male officers and all our deacons at this point are um men we don't have deaconesses we need more women officers because we need more women input and we need more women's voices to complete our, you know, how we apply our vision and how we understand. In fact, every time when we used to do sermon prep, we would want to make sure we hear what the woman on our staff, which is Sister Katie, we want to make sure she speaks and gives us input. 
even though she's not the one preaching, we have to have our, her input. Otherwise, it's a bunch of guys just talking. And so, so we're just basically going to be thinking from the framework of men. And so in every possible way, uh, even women with the gift of teaching, we need to find a way for women to teach in a complementarian context. Even if it's just me opening in a class and saying, under my leadership and authority, here's a woman, I'm going to open up and give you some introduction, I'll come and give application. She has the gift of teaching, she's going to teach you guys now. Sometimes when I need wisdom, there are a few spiritual mothers in the church, you know who you are, uh, I seek you and your husband, but I seek your wisdom as well and your counsel. And so uh, we have to understand how, especially going forward, we need to look at what's actually biblical versus what's actually been taken out of context and, and built into denominations and systems that are male-dominated. So we don't go as far as to ordain women to be pastors because we don't see that as biblical. But beyond that, we need to elevate women in the church to acceptable and biblical positions of leadership. And you heard that coming from me, a complementarian. And women, if you've ever felt marginalized, uh, or if I've ever said anything, made too many sports illustrations, maybe too dogmatic, maybe I, I'm not thinking sensitively, please don't feel like you can't talk to me or to tell me, Hanley, that was offensive when you were a little too strong. You know, or, or can you be more sensitive to us when you preach? Like you scream the whole time and, 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 and that, that, that's, that's hard. Um, you know, just, just talk to us because we're listening. We're listening. Okay, we want to be sensitive and we want to understand. With that, you've gotten your application for today. Let's go to point number three, which is really quick. Point number three is the, or point number two is objectors anticipated. And point number three is a conclusion for spiritual gifts. And these are very short. Okay, point number two, objectors anticipated. If you look at verses 36 to 38, it says, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. All Paul is doing is he's summarizing everything that he's written. And Paul knew. So I think based on this passage, we can understand that Paul knew that what the letters he wrote was inspired by the Spirit. He knew that if there was a thing called Scripture, that it would include his teaching. And so he's actually stating with confidence his authority, his spiritual authority, saying, saying if those who think that you're prophets and you object to what I'm teaching you, know that what I'm writing to you is a command of the Lord. And when he says in verse 38, if anyone does not recognize, he's not recognized, that's strong, a strong saying. Basically, if you reject the word of God, you're rejecting God, and God will not recognize you as a believer. So, he, so when you take that up to principle, it's, it, under, it makes sense. Anybody who rejects the word of God is rejecting God and is not a believer. Right? So he says that in some strong terms because he knows that people are going to object to him. That's point number two, objectors anticipated. Point number three is conclusion on spiritual gifts. In 39 to 40, he wraps everything up. And he says in verse 39, So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So even though he limits the number of tongues uh, spoken in a worship service 
And even though he, he sang maybe two or three prophecies so that the word of God is clear, he says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. Earnestly desire prophecy. Don't forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. So that's just a summary statement. The big idea for this morning is this. In corporate worship, Christ followers must exercise our spiritual gifts in an edifying manner that displays spirit-empowered order. Okay, let me say that one more time. In a corporate worship service, Christ followers must exercise our spiritual gifts in an edifying manner that displays spirit-empowered order. Okay? One application of this is that we see that God is a God of clarity, not confusion. God is a God of order, not disorder and chaos. And God's truth is designed to clarify, not confuse. And if God's word is meant to clarify and not confuse, then God's word is designed to be like a light in the darkness. God's word is meant to bring order to the chaos of our souls. So we live in a generation where there's too many voices there's too many good voices sometimes and sometimes when there's too many options and too many good voices it's hard to focus on what God wants to say to us and so from this passage we can say that yes Paul's already said that everybody matters in the sense of every spiritual gift matters. So everyone's godly opinion matters, and every spiritual gift matters. But in a church, there needs to be some focus. So in the context of worship, uh, I do think that there, there are certain leaders that do need to pray and take a risk that this is what God wants to say to our church. And so we have the Word of God, and so we should focus on what not only the Word of God says, but how we apply it in this specific season as, a, as our church. So this is a place for God-given vision and biblical application. This is an application for why there's such a thing as every church can choose their own sermon series and their own small groups. I would also say this. If every small group is just discussing their own thing, that's okay. This is America. You have freedom to do that. And pastors are not tyrants, so you have freedom to do that. But sometimes, and I ask politely, it would be good if our small groups were trying to follow what was on the heart of the pastors. Because if you trust us, and again, you keep us accountable that our character is qualified and that we're actually teaching the Word of God. If you trust us and if we give you vision, even if you disagree with it or don't understand it, you can ask us. We, we ask that maybe in your small groups, Maybe in your homes, if you would give us a chance, you would discuss these things. That you would actually talk about some of the things we talk about in the sermon. Maybe if you're a deacon or officer, you would actually say, hey, our pastor mentioned some things in the pulpit. He doesn't have time to apply this. Maybe we can bring it back up to him. We can help him apply, like maybe how to give a voice for women in the future in Sunday school where it's still under the biblical practice. Because there's no way Pastor Hanley's going to be able to execute that. You know, uh, maybe, maybe uh, it's a season where we can, we could come together, and the pastors don't have time to really execute that 
basketball outreach ministry for the community. But maybe we could come together and apply that rather than just starting our own ministries. Uh, because that's what I'm saying. If there's order in the church, if there's clarity in the church, that maybe God still speaks through the pastors as long as what we preach is being weighed and discerned. So maybe you guys pray and go home and pray like the pastors are telling us this, the vision of the church is to be a vibrant church of disciple makers. Uh, you know, that sounds boring, but maybe God still speaks through pastors. Maybe if the pastors are preaching the word of God and maybe if they're not trying to, you know, exercise and force us. And maybe that's why our church hasn't moved that fast because our, our, our pastors, maybe because they want to respect us, maybe we could begin to listen to them. You guys are a great church, and you know that our, you know, we'll give you guys, you know, our vision and stuff, but we're not going to force you. We don't think that's right. We're not going to come down with a hammer. We want you to do what the Spirit puts on your heart, but you need to make sure what we're saying is the Word of God. And so maybe that there's a lot of different churches saying a lot of good things. Maybe that's not for our church. Maybe God has not pressed that upon the pastors of a church with three congregations with three very different contexts, and then within those contexts, various cultures. Maybe when we come back from COVID-19, that there's other things that churches, other churches are doing that might not apply to a church like ours right away. And maybe you may agree or disagree. Maybe there are different preaching series that other churches are doing that you might like more, and that's okay. And you can listen to those, but maybe that's not what the Lord has put on our pastor's hearts when we've prayed and gone before the Lord. And maybe if you could consider praying about whether or not you could trust us and submit to us, not because we're better or higher, but because the word of God still speaks through men and women in, in the right context. And so I put that before you, and I, I trust that the Spirit will do His work. And when we come back, because you guys are a church that follows the Holy Spirit. And because we're going to continue to look to God's word, that you would, you would pray for us. I, I do want to ask for your prayers for something in particular. August, so we're going to finish 1 Corinthians in the end of July. And then in September, it's the Senior Pastor Series. In August, we get to preach on whatever we want. And my confession to you is I have no idea what to preach on. Uh, and so I, I, I told Pastor Terrence, do you have any ideas? Could you preach once? I, I, I think he would like to. Um, and so he's going to preach once. I, I'm going to try to preach. Uh, since I'm not preaching all September, I'll probably preach what I can. I have no idea what I want to preach on. There's a lot of things I'm scared of. Like, like what if we come back and people start fighting because, you know, may, you know we're, we're, we're too restrictive or not restrictive enough of COVID? We don't know. You know, or... I don't know, you know, like, like, what if people don't want to come back? What if people come back? What if the parking lot's full and people start fighting? You know, what if, like, there's, you know, the, the three congregations are back and there's not enough room? And what if the children's or youth aren't open early enough so, so people start yelling at us? <laughs> uh, but then other people are like, you open too soon, you know, and, and, and so forth. And um, do I preach on unity again? I don't know. I, I, I'm asking you guys help. Can you guys pray? I, can you guys see that? Our greatest thing is to keep us unified. But sometimes we're afraid because when we speak the truth, you know, it's just not everyone's going to agree. So, so we know what the vision of our church is. We know 
that after we're done with September, we're going to find something to charge you for. August is coming, and I need a word from God. I have 66 books, and as you're preaching, Pastor, quote-unquote, I need to hear the word of God. And I've heard opinion from so many opinions. I've heard so many opinions from people that it's paralyzed me at times where I, where I need to hear from the word of God. God, I know this person wants me to preach on politics. I know this person wants to preach, preach on COVID safety. I know this person wants me to preach on let's go back and be the church. This person wants me to preach on new building. This person wants to preach on outreach. God, what do we preach on? And at the end of the day, if I have nothing to preach, I'm preaching the gospel. So that's what we're going to do. Okay, if, 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 uh, so we just need your prayers. Just pray for us that, that as an English staff, we can come together. And in August, we'll have a series for you that really brings us back with unity. Okay, otherwise, we preach the gospel. And that will always be good. So let me pray for us. Father, there's a lot of good voices out there. And we need to hear from you. There's a lot of opinions out there of what pastors should be preaching. There's a lot of difference, especially as churches are reopening. Everyone has a different opinion. But, but Lord, we need to hear from you. We're so busy at times that it's hard to just be alone and get with you. Father, I pray that you would speak through the men who you've ordained to, and tasked with preaching the word of God. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that wouldn't just listen to the opinion of men or culture or society, but we would be a church that listens to and submits to Scripture so that we wouldn't be confused, so that we could feel and know very clearly what your Spirit wants of us. Father, I pray, Lord, that your servants, not just the pastors but the deacons, officers, that you would allow us to be humble people, I pray, Lord, for women that you would teach our church. We're Southern Baptist Church. We have some tradition. But Southern Baptist churches, as we know, based on the Caring Well ministry that has been initiated, has some challenges where we need to elevate the rightful voice of women in the right ways. We need to have positions for women in leadership to speak out so we're more balanced and prevents uh, abuse. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a church where, where we would have men who would have more courage to stand in positions of leadership for men, but that you would also allow us to have more platforms for gifted women to exercise their gifts, including teaching and leadership. Teach us how. Teach us how, Lord. Speak, O oh Lord. Speak, O oh Lord. Your people are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.